tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. Back from our amazing trip up north, we did have snow, for those following along, um... The farm felt we didn't have enough snow for the snowmobiles, but it was pretty good. Four or five inches up there. We uh, had ATVs. Kids loved it. If you've never been on one of these big ATVs, you're sitting in the back seat, and the snow comes in piling, freezing cold. You got your snow pants and hats and who knows what. It's fantastic. And a special thank you to Treetops Resorts, who are not a sponsor yet, but a special thank you because I didn't know you had to make reservations to go snow tubing. And uh, the place I usually go were book solid, and it's Sunday morning, and I got to find a place called Treetops, and they were able to get us in, squeezed us in. The kids had a blast. I actually did not go snow tubing because there weren't enough slots, but the kids really had a blast. It was a great break. Back into school, back into learning, back to doing the show. It's really fantastic. So the Jewish people have left Egypt. And a very fascinating uh, verse to begin this week's Torah portion. The verse says that Pharaoh, and it was, by he and it was, when Pharaoh sent the Jewish people. First of all, I don't even know if that's true. Did Pharaoh send us out? It does say he accompanied us out, maybe to make sure we left. That's true. But did the Pharaoh actually accompany us out? Pharaoh gave us permission to leave because God had just brought the plague of the firstborn. So Pharaoh was worried about dying. So he gave permission for everybody to leave. And the Egyptians didn't want us hanging around, so they forced us out. No time to finish making breakfast, so we couldn't finish the dough, so the dough didn't have time to rise, so we packed out of the country. But So why does the verse say Pharaoh sent us out? That's a very interesting, interesting thought. And to follow up on that interesting thought, so Pharaoh sends us out, and a week later he's chasing after us to kill us. So which one is it? You want us to leave? You don't want us to leave. Yes, it's true that originally in the deal, Pharaoh had been told by Moses we're going out for three days, but those plans had changed. Pharaoh lost his, uh, his deal because he, he, he didn't let us go. Words, if you would have let us go, we would have gone for three days. You didn't let us go. You increased the workload. So, yeah, the deal changes. You don't get the same deal just because you let us go after making us suffer and got us to bring the plagues. It doesn't work that way. So that becomes a little strange. So it's something interesting I saw, which is not the answer I want to stick with, but it is something historically which is fascinating, where we find that first the nations of the world, I don't care which country you're in over history, whether England or France or, or Germany or, or just go, the gamut across the world, where first they go ahead 
and the nations yell at us to get out of their country. Get out. We don't want you here. You don't belong here. You're a foreigner. So we say, fine, Spain. So we say, fine, we'll leave. So what happens? We go to leave. Then they, they yell at us, why are you leaving? You don't like our country? You got problems with us? You're, you're not a good citizen? Who are you? So it's, it's uh, interesting, you know, something to recognize, something to think about. The first, they hate us, so we got to get out. And then when we try to get out, they don't want us to leave. It's uh, amazing. It's amazing, amazing. It's an interesting thought. But that is not the thought that I wanted to discuss. There's an interesting um, archaim that I saw. Of course God sent us out. Of course Moses led us out. Of course God gathered everybody miraculously together, you know, in minutes, seconds, whatever it was, and he carried us out on wings of eagles like it says in next week's Torah portion. But the verse says, and it was when Pharaoh sent us out. Because you know what? Pharaoh thought he was in control. The Pharaoh thought that he was the one sending us out. And that was the cause for his final downfall, where his army will be annihilated. Because as long as you think you're in control, I let you go. I can take you back. It's all, I'm the one making all the decisions. I decide you leave. I make my new legislation that you got to get out of my country. I could just as easily not only rip up that legislation, but demand that you stay. And you know what? I can demand some of you leave, but I want to keep the money, uh, the bankers behind, or certain businesses behind. Again, this is historical for those who follow history. I want to keep you behind. I'm in control. I am the one that makes all the decisions. So when Pharaoh says, when the verse says that Pharaoh sent us out, he thought he was in control. Good. If you think you're in control. So then a few days later, when we're not coming back, and you think that we're supposed to come back, so you want to show you're in control, I sent you out, I can bring you back. So this action of this verse is really a fantastic lead-in to this week's Torah portion. Because you got, again, I, I always wonder, I talk about it with my students all the time. There were 10 plagues, blood and frogs and lice and wild animals and the plague that killed all the animals and the locusts and the hail and the boils. I know I did those last three out of order, I'm sorry. And the darkness and the plague of firstborn. You saw what God did. What are you thinking to chase us and bring us back? Like, what could you possibly be thinking? So you could say, yeah, he's not thinking. He got angry, he's not thinking. Or it could be that even though the Pharaoh lets us go, but he has decided he's in control. As long as he's decided that he's in control, he can pull us back for the same price, which of course will lead him chasing us into the desert by the, by the Red Sea. And God making the miracle, we're going to go through those tunnels in the Red Sea. The Egyptian army will amazingly follow us through the tunnels. We're going to come out and the walls will come crashing down and that will be the end of the army. So um, so that is, is really um, just a, a, a fascinating thought that Chaim says that if Pharaoh wouldn't have, have thought the way he did, in other words, if he would have been real and he would have looked at the situation and he would have said good riddance, 
his army would still exist, his country would still exist, he'd still, maybe, at least in those days, he'd still be a world power, we'd be on our way, and he'd be done with it. But because he thought he was in control, which is what always happens, we as people always think we're in control. When you think you're in control, you make terrible mistakes, because at the end of the day, you're not in control. Pharaoh thought he was in control, therefore he thought he could go after us, therefore he leads his army to its final destruction. So let's uh, let's let, let's get a little bit uh, back into the story. That's on Pharaoh's side. So continuing in that amazing first verse or so in the Torah portion. So it says, "God, right, right away again. It was when Pharaoh sent us, and God didn't lead us. Right. So it's right away you realize that it's God leading us. But again, it's that's just to show you that it was Pharaoh who did the thinking. Of course, he didn't send us out. Okay. So." He said, God didn't lead us in the path of the Philistines. He sent us out into the desert. Because, again, if you look at a map, Egypt is not far from Israel. I think it's a four-hour bus ride from Tel Aviv to Egypt. You just go along the coastline. Like, anybody, like, if we're supposed to be going to Israel, like, we took the longest route possible. I mean, you can't have a longer route. You could, you're right there. No, instead of going along the coast, very easy path, probably nice scenery, uh, not so sandy, not so hot. No, we're going to go straight out into a desert where you have no idea where you're going. You have to turn back around and get towards the Red Sea and then wander in the desert. It's true. We were on our way to get the Torah also. All true. But, it, but the verse is saying this straight out. It's pointing out to us that God did not lead us on that easy, straight, fast path. So let's talk about that, okay? And now, besides that, let's leave that thought on the side. A- another part of this first and second verse is the Torah says that we left Egypt armed. Hamushim so We left our, We left with weapons, everybody says. We left with weapons? I mean, again, we're the Jewish people. God just brought 10 plagues to take care of the Egyptians. We are not trained soldiers. Why bother with the weapons? If the Egyptian army is going to attack you, you're not going to fight them off with your silly weapons. Like, what are you thinking? I just read something totally on the side, but uh, people not really thinking so carefully. You know, there's all these these articles, gun owners and and, and people that are not gun owners. And they want to know why people are so into the Second Amendment. So there's good reasons. I understand what everybody wants, sort of. But uh, somebody said, well, you know, as large as the American army is, um, if you took the the deer hunters and turkey hunters of like Michigan. That's where I am, in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and I forgot the last one, maybe Ohio. They would be bigger than the whole American army. Wonderful. But you're not an army. So real soldiers will come and will wipe you out. You're, you're not creating your own army. What are you thinking? That, well, they can't take our guns away because we would have the largest army in the world. You get slaughtered. I'll bring a few tanks. What are you going to do exactly? What are, you, what are you thinking? So with that in mind... Why bother bringing weapons? God's going to protect you anyways. As God took care of the ten plagues, God's taken you out of Egypt. So you might as well assume that God is going to do all the fighting that you need. Why do you have to take weapons? So 
the Kliyakar says, again, these are very important topics, I think, just to just to wrap our head around so we have a feeling for who the Jewish people were. We were slaves. We were just freed. Yeah, we saw a bunch of miracles. But seeing a bunch of miracles is not enough. It's just not enough. You see this miracle and God to carry over here and you know there's a God and he's hanging out of the country. It's just not enough. It is not enough. We need a solid belief system in God. It's not so easy to just see people that, oh, if God would show me a miracle, I would for sure believe. Not true. I'm sure we've said stories in the past. There's all kinds of people out there that they um, that miracles happen to them, and some people act on those miracles immediately. Most people say, great miracle, um, next week, Tuesday, I'm available to explore this miracle, and nothing ever comes from it. I've told you the story before. There was a, a soldier in the Russian army. And the Russian army in those days, this is probably a good 100, 150 years ago. Not a good army to be part of. Why? Because Mother Russia said land is more important than soldiers. So if you're on the front line, you better not retreat. I said, this guy knew that. So he said, God, if you show me a sign, you take care of me. I'll go study Torah. I'll become religious. Sure enough, a shot rings out. Um, he gets hit in his trigger finger. He uh, he collapses. They take him to the hospital, but his trigger finger is paralyzed. Miracle. Right after his prayer. He can't get better than that. Now, this guy is telling the story about himself. So he says, yeah, God, I know I made your promise, but, uh, you know, I got to finish university. Let me take three months to finish university, and then... And then I'll uh, I'll go do that Torah study and do that religious stuff. Okay, and what happened? Of course he didn't do the Torah study and the religious stuff. Because three months is more than enough time to sort of, yeah, it was a miracle, but man, was it really a miracle? You know, that's the joke, right? Um, a guy is driving around Manhattan. He's desperate for a parking spot. He's desperate, desperate. He says, God, I will give you $1,000 to charity if you get me a parking spot. Because I, I can't be late for this meeting. Sure enough, right in front of a guy pulls out of a parking spot. And the guy says, God, forget the deal. I found the parking spot myself. I mean, you know, come on. So we were lacking. We did not have a full-fledged belief system. So God can't take us the straight path. God's got to take us into the desert where we will see over a long period of time how God takes care of us. So we need weapons because we think we need weapons. We still imagine in the back of our mind, we're going to need these weapons to help us fight. But once we come to the final conclusion that it's not the weapons, it's not us, it's all God, then we won't need the weapons anymore. Just at the beginning of our travels, it was, I guess, for our own comfort level because our belief level was not where it's supposed to be. So therefore, we have to go ahead and go into the Red Sea. And God has to split it. And we have to see that God annihilates and drowns all Egyptian army. And then it says, at the end, we're going to sing a special song. So it, it says we believed in God and in Moses' his servant. And as we needed, st- and by the way, that wasn't enough. But at least at that point, we're, we're at least moving in the right direction to have that proper belief system. You cannot have a full-fledged belief system just because a couple miracles happen, even humongous miracles, even earth-shattering miracles. It's just not going to be enough. 
So therefore, we're going to need really, we're going to be in the desert and we're going to need the clouds to protect us and we're going to need God to supply us with, with the, the mun, right? That food from heaven and the water supply, which will come from the well of Miriam. Now, by the way, it is interesting once we're thinking about this, all these things happen pretty much in this week's Torah portion. We leave Egypt, we get the clouds. Um, later in the Torah portion, we're going to get the mun from heaven. We'll talk about that. And we're going to get the well of Miriam. So all these things happen because we need that, that we need to get used to the fact that God takes care of us. I mean, we became so used to it. I told my class today. So again, something to think about. We became so used to the daily miracles. There's this cloud surrounding us. And a and a roof and a floor and the temperature is San Diego and it's not raining and I'm not I'm not boiling in the sun and it's not too cold at night it's beautiful and we got so used to it we take it for granted I mean it's a miracle you're in the middle of a desert like what are you imagining that you got these clouds surrounding you think that's normal and then every morning you wake up and there's this these seeds of mun are prepared as dough or bread, however it came, right? There's this m- breakfast comes pretty much delivered. If it's not delivered, so you got to walk out a little bit to collect your seeds and bring them home and grind them up and you got bread. But you didn't even pay for it. So you get, this is not normal, right? God is giving you food every day. The exact amount of food you need for your family. Every day it is happening. This is normal. But after a while, you get used to it. Yeah, you... Everyone gets used to anything that people do for us, right? We get used to our mothers, right? Our mother does our laundry every day. So that's part of the deal, right? Ma, you're supposed to do laundry. Ma, you're supposed to make a breakfast. Ma, you didn't make my lunch, right? This is what what we grow up with, we get used to, and we think that's normal instead of sometimes taking a step back and saying, whoa, and the same thing with the water. There's this this water supply that travels with the Jewish people. Wherever we go, there's, there's a water supply. We park, we set up camp. The, uh, the heads of each tribe would take their stick and draw a line to their tribe, and the water would flow and flow around the tribe. I mean, this is not normal. So how is it possible with all these miracles taking place daily? Now, we say in prayers that we have constant miracles happening to us. We say it straight out in the prayers. There's always miracles. We don't recognize the miracles. But there's always miracles happening to us every day that we don't even see. Here, we had at least these three huge miracles every day. How is it possible that we could not listen to God? How is it possible we could start up with God? Like, how could we do such a thing? So it's, it's really something on a lot of levels to think about and with that thinking, you got to keep in mind that uh, maybe some of the stories of how we start up with Moses and with God, maybe we're missing some of the details there. Because otherwise, it seems almost impossible that we should be able to go ahead and, uh, and start up with God. Like, you don't, if I'm God, which I'm not, right? So you, 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 you want to make a golden calf. No problem. There's no food tomorrow morning. You want to make a golden calf? I'm turning off the water supply. You want to make a golden calf? Get rid of your clouds. I mean, if if I'm God, I can put an immediate stop to anything you're doing wrong. And by the way, that's what the man did a little bit. This food that came down, 
uh, it was a daily test because depending on how you behaved yesterday is in what shape you get your month today. Was it prepared? Did you have to walk further for it? Was it closer to you? It, it was daily. You knew what was going on. So if you, if you anyways knew daily what was going on, so it, it's pretty hard to do stuff wrong. So how could it be? So, But that's, that's the fact of life. You know, it's sometimes the question is so good, that must become the answer. Because God doesn't want to, every day, as soon as we do something wrong, you know, turn off the switch. Because then you, then you have no free will. Then you will never, ever do anything because you know that's what God wants. You're doing it because someone's standing over your head with a stick. There's really no value in that. So we need these 40 years in the desert to get used to the fact that God fully takes care of us. Some of us, obviously, will get the message better. Some of us will not get the message so well. But that's really what, what we're trying to, to learn from these Torah portions. In other words, we left Egypt with weapons because what did we think? We thought we needed to protect ourselves. So you see that our belief system is not ready yet. We're not ready to go to the land of Israel. So, again, we were supposed to go right away, and I don't know what would have happened if we would have gone right away. But the 40 years that we wandered the desert was really, really a tremendous benefit for us. Because by being in the desert for 40 years with daily miracles, obviously God taking care of us. Yes, we complained, and yes, we did things wrong. We'll talk about that in the next segment. But... But we learned to trust in God. It was learning to believe in God, learning to trust in God, really only happens, really only happens when you take the time to recognize daily what God's doing for you. I know there are people that have this thing, they have like notebooks. And they keep track. Either once a day they write something down or they walk around with notebooks, whatever it is, even once a day, little notepad, what did God do for me today? I'll write down one idea. It, it will be life-changing because you'll start to recognize that there's a God and he's taking care of you. And as soon as you recognize there's a God and he's taking care of you, you are now living a totally different life. You're going to be more calm and relaxed because you know it's not you. Once you know it's not you, it's not such a big deal. Um, one more thing to try to get to, the, again, the Jewish people leaving, um, leaving Egypt and going to the Red Sea, it's okay, it's the very beginning of the Torah portion. We, we're, we're like scratching the surface on the first couple of verses, but it's really beautiful stuff. So the Jewish people are running around collecting gold and silver like they were supposed to. God said, gave a clear message, repeated the message, tell everyone to run around and borrow gold and silver from the Egyptians. That was clear. But Moses is running around doing something else. Moses is running around looking for the coffin of Joseph. Joseph had made the Jewish people promise that he would that they would take him out of Egypt. Can't leave without Joseph's bones. Moses knows this. We actually are going to need those bones for the for the Red Sea to split. It's not a key, but we'll see. And uh, nobody knows where he's been buried because the Egyptians tossed his coffin into the Nile River. Because no one's, first of all, no one's going, even as soon as you dump it in. You know how you're, gonna, you're diving 100 feet and, and picking up a metal box? And once you give yourself 100 years, it is so covered and buried, you'll never find it. Okay, modern machinery, maybe, but not in those days. 
So Moses uh, asked, uh, some say it was uh, Usher's daughter, Sarah Bas Usher. She told Moses where it was, and he threw in a golden plate. He the golden plate said, like, come up ox, or I had one of God's names on it. And the coffin floats to the top, he gets it out, and Moses will have that accompany the Jewish people. That plate, by the way, makes its own problems. That's the plate that Micha threw into the gold, and it turned it into a golden calf, which is, again, a story for another day. So it is interesting that uh, the nations asked, why are there these two boxes? Right, One box held the two tablets, and one box held uh, Joseph's bones, and the commentaries say, or really the Talmud says, that the reason the two boxes were next to each other is because so people would understand that the guy in this box, Joseph, kept all the rules and regulations in the other box. So, so what happens is the, um, the, when, when, when they get to the Red Sea, so the sea, whatever this means, the sea says, why should I split for the Jews? These do idol worship, these do idol worship. So it says because they saw Joseph's bones and Joseph was an example of somebody who fought his evil inclination, so the sea said, okay, I got to split. And we got to split. The music's playing. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Short and sweet. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor. Listen to I can't do it without you. Thank you to our production team. We have David, Jalen, and Alan in the back. Kelsey's not here today, so we need two guys to take over for I hope we have some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build. Every room inside is filled. 